0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Meeting Place by Pastor Sean Wood. So I pray that we would have ears to hear your word, that we would have eyes to see only Jesus this morning. In your wonderful and glorious name we ask. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, all the spiritual people bring hard covers nowadays. (laughs) Just for those that are are wondering. uh, As you're making your way to Exodus 25, uh, today we're going to begin a journey through the tabernacle. And uh, the writer to Hebrews, uh, when he's actually... Hebrews chapter 9, one of the most profound chapters in the New Testament. But Hebrews chapter 9 speaks about the tabernacle. And he says to the Hebrews, of the details, we don't now have the time. And so... I would say that we're going to look at the tabernacle and we're going to ask ourselves the question, uh, what do we see and how does that apply to us today? But when it comes to all of the minute details, friends, we don't have the time. (laughs) We could be here for a very long time. But the truth that is unpacked for us uh, in the tabernacle, but more importantly, in its furnishings, uh, we're going to see actually the most important thing about the tabernacle isn't the tent at all, it's what was... Inside the tent. See that in a moment. Uh, from a very young age, I learnt that there is a huge difference between a house and a home. I-, I learnt that a house can have bricks and mortar, it can even have people living there with you, but you still don't feel like you're at home. And for those that know, when I was young, I ended up in foster care, I ended up in a number of houses very quickly. And I learned that there's a difference between a house and a home. There's a difference between occupying a room and feeling welcome, wanted, and belonging somewhere. And then I found myself at the house of a, a lovely angel, it convinced me that angels walked this earth. And she's a lovely lady. But I learned the difference between a house and a home, and it was presence. You see, you can walk into a house with four walls. You can even have people inside the house. But it's the presence that makes a difference. And today, I hope what we grab as we work our way, beginning in the tabernacle, I hope what we grab is the most important thing is the presence. The most important thing for Israel. God is now about to teach Israel about worship. There's more to the tabernacle and there's more behind God's heart with the tabernacle, which we'll unpack very early on this morning. But, but God is about to teach Israel, I want to dwell amongst you, paraphrasing. I want to dwell with you and this is what that looks like. So let's begin, if you've made your way to Exodus chapter 25, uh, we'll begin briefly uh, at verse 8. Uh, We mustn't go any further until we've touched on verse 8. God says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God's heart and God's desire has always been to dwell in the midst of his people. God wants to dwell in our midst. God wanted to dwell in the midst of Israel. But let's read the verse afterwards because this was really important for Moses. It was really important for Israel and it's really important. Really important for us today. Have a listen to what God says to Moses. Uh, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And let them make it however they want, according to whatever suits them on that particular day, says no part of scripture anywhere. God says to Moses, and there's a reason for this. God says to Moses, uh, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make it. What do we learn? God is a God of order. Yes. Worship, God is teaching us about worship, and right from the beginning what he's teaching us is, there will be order in my house. I will build my house, Jesus said that, I will build my church, but I will build my house according to the pattern. It's really important why. Why? As we take our journey through the tabernacle, beginning today with the Ark of the Covenant, we're going to see that every single part of it is a deep spiritual truth about Christ. You can't get this wrong. We are about to take a walk through a visual aid or a roadmap for Israel back home. You see... Ecclesiastes tells us that God has placed eternity in the hearts of every man and every single person is lost. Why? Because we are longing to return home. Where's home? Eden. What's Eden? Eden was defined by Adam and Eve enjoying the presence of God. Imagine what that was like. Imagine walking with God in the garden, talking like we talk to each other. And all of us long for that. And how do we define that? How do we define home? It's by a presence. And God has given Israel here a road map home, but he's also given us a map home. Someone's gone before us. We'll touch on that glorious person later on. Someone's gone before us and paved the way for us. But it highlights a truth to Israel and it also highlights a truth to each one of us today. You are as close to God as you want to be. Israel, they had limitations. Israel, they had uh, certain parameters that they couldn't infringe on. We'll touch on those as we work our way through, but because of Christ, we are as close today to God as we want to be. So, God is a, a, make me a sanctuary, make me a, a dwelling place that I may dwell amongst you. God, by the way, today, we'll just fast forward. Uh, we're going to land the plane uh, in the New Testament today, but uh, just to fast forward a little bit, God is uh, building a temple because the tabernacle became the temple but today he's building a temple that is built on the foundation of Christ you can read about that temple in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 2 and he's building a temple that is laid on the foundation of Christ by which he may inhabit by his spirit or as Paul says may dwell by the Holy Spirit and that's an inside of each one of us God wants to dwell inside of each one of us so as we reach the, the tabernacle, we're going to begin to ask three questions. The first thing we come to is the Ark of the Covenant, which is actually profound and really important. Isn't it interesting how God doesn't start with a tent? Because what we need to know is that the furnishings inside the tent don't facilitate the tent. The tent houses the furnishings. And it's no mistake that when God wanted to make a place for him, first place he says is, you know what, when it comes to worship, the biggest priority is my presence. And we'll see. So today we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, Indiana Jones didn't find it and he won't. Uh, there's, a, there's a good chance that historians have placed it somewhere around about lost in Babylon. However, uh, what is the Ark of the Covenant? What was the significance and the symbolism to Israel? We need to ask that question before we transfer this into Christ. And then we ask ourselves the question, what does that mean for us today? Because if we're going to take this journey, and we're going to ask this question, how can we see Christ here? And how does that apply to us today. So let's begin with just a few observations. Uh, what we need to know is, uh, as we work our way through the tabernacle, uh, we have the ark of the covenant, the table of the shoebread, the golden lampstand. We'll m- work our way out from the inside out. We'll come to places like the bronze altar, which we'll touch on today, but its importance will become uh, more relevant later on. But every one of them, uh, whether it's the dimensions, whether it's the materials, or whether it's the colours, uh, speak deeply in symbolism. About Christ. They have a message inside of it all. We're going to touch on a few of them. And maybe you want to go home and, and study this for yourself. Well, you can do. Careful where you get sources from, but you can delve very deep into this. Let's have a look at what God says. They shall make an ark. And when we come to the word ark, this is not the same word used for Noah and Moses. And everybody's thinking, hang on a second, Moses didn't build an ark. No, but his mum placed him in an ark, it was, it was a basket. Both were for preservation. Uh, the Ark of Noah and the Ark uh, that is used to describe what Moses was placed in, same word in the Hebrew. This word is different, speaks more of a box, a chest or a container. They shall make an Ark of acacia wood. Now, acacia wood was, was prevalent within the wilderness and within the desert, uh, but... Uh, Immediately, God's trying to communicate to us and to Israel. You see, acacia wood was known uh, throughout the region to be incorruptible. It was so dense a timber that water couldn't penetrate it and intersects would not be interested in it. And so it was the material that you would use for building because it wouldn't decay. And immediately, God's saying, anything and everything that's in my presence and in my house is incorruptible. It gets better. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Now you're a builder, Roscoe. What's that in our our terms? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But interesting, those dimensions in the ancient times were the exact dimensions of the footstool of a king when he sat on his throne. That's really important for what's coming next. What God wants us to know is that there is somebody seated here. And see, in ancient times, a king would sit on his throne for judgment and he would sit with his feet placed on the footstool and immediately we see that the dimensions of the ark are the exact dimensions of that footstool. Let's read on. Uh, half a breadth of cubit and a half in height and, and, and if builders know those measurements and know those conversions then you're far too spiritual for us you shall overlay it with pure gold uh, we will see throughout the tabernacle particularly amongst the furnishings every, and the utensils everything must be gold refined gold pure gold no blemishes God is removing the common You don't just... Worship wasn't about treating God like he's common. And we will read, if if you read on through this passage, you will read that gold overlays everything. And and on the Ark of the Covenant, which will be the, we're going to get to the most profound part of the Ark of the Covenant shortly, which is the mercy seat. Man, oh man, if God's trying to preach a sermon to us this morning, it's right there in the mercy seat. But uh, we will see uh, everything is overlaid with gold. And immediately we see a picture of the divine overlaying humanity, gold overlaying. And I want you to know, friends, that when you're in the presence of God, you might be sitting here. Here today going, you know what? I don't even know that I have incorruptible wood to come into the presence of God. We've all been overlaid as it was with gold in Jesus Christ. We have his blood and that's going to become really important in a moment, but his blood covers us. Every step towards the presence of God is a step on blood stained stones. We will see that nobody approaches anywhere in the holy place or the most holy place Without blood. <coughs> so we see that this ark is no ordinary furnishing. The picture there is pretty close to what you would have seen. And you'll notice on the top there's two cherubim. And, and if you do a study through our scripture, you'll find that wherever the cherubim are mentioned, it speaks about being in the direct presence of God or where he is enthroned. God's teaching us something. God's telling us something. This is no ordinary, just a box or a chest. And, and it's interesting what's in there. Uh, Hebrews 9 tells us later on that the tablets or the, the two stones, the unbroken ones, by the way, because Moses went up and fixed them, uh, the unbroken ones are placed in the box, and, uh, but also the, the golden pot that holds the manna and Aaron's staff which buds. You place a dead stick in the presence of God, And immediately we know that God's law, God's holy and righteous standard is placed inside of the ark and he sits in judgment. And we all know that we can't hold that holy, righteous standard on our own. And so immediately we begin to see a deep, deep picture of Christ. And I have only this morning scratched the surface. And as we work our way forward, we'll unpack more. But we need to understand, we ask ourselves the question, what was the significance of the ark? I'll, I'll come to the mercy seat in a moment. But the significance to Israel was immense. And there's a lesson in this for us. What we begin to find with Israel is that if you remove the ark, and we're going to have a look at a scripture in a moment where that happened, if you remove the ark from Israel, if you take the ark out of the tabernacle, they're just another people in another land amongst every other person. What distinguished Israel, what set Israel and the people of God apart right from the beginning is the presence of God. More about this later, but friends, without the presence of God, we're another football club. We're another community outreach centre. Without the presence of God, that's what defines us. The reality of God dwelling in us. What a great promise. But for Israel, some key moments, uh, you might understand that uh, shortly before they enter the promised land, before God takes them into the fullness that he had prepared for them, they had to cross the Jordan River. Uh, Now, spare a thought for these guys, they couldn't swim. There's no bronze medallions in the Israel clan. These guys, their swimming lesson was there's walls of water either side, we walk through on dry ground. That was their swimming lesson as they came out of Egypt. Uh, These guys are standing on the banks of the Jordan, and when they do, the Jordan River is in full flood, and in most cases, up to a kilometre wide. And the first thing that set foot into the Jordan River are the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence always goes before us. God's presence always paves the way. You will notice, uh, if you read through the history of Israel, you'll notice there are times when the Ark is missing and they lose battles. Uh, we're going to read about a day in Israel's history shortly. Uh, you'll read about the king of Israel, David, when when the Ark is returning to Jerusalem. Finally... Uh, which precedes what we're about to touch on in a moment, but uh, when the uh, ark is returning to Jerusalem, so joyous was David that he was dancing and the clothes that he is wearing is described as his underwear. It's like, most of us don't want to picture that, right? Most of us are like, oh, hang on a second, There is. you can dance before the presence of the Lord, but you must be fully clothed in church, right? No underwear in church. But that's David had completely abandoned himself before the presence of God. That's what worship looks like. But th- this morning, as we understand some of the significance, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and we must always take scripture in context, so we'll do that this morning. Uh, we- 1 Samuel chapter 4 speaks about when the Philistines capture the ark. We're going to get to a really, really frightening verse in a moment, but what leads up to 1 Samuel chapter 4 is, uh, we all know the story of Samuel. Hannah is barren. Uh, She says, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him. She dedicates him to the temple. He grows up uh, in the temple underneath a man by the name of Eli. And Eli's sons are a pair of brats. And to put it nicely, to put it in the uh, non-evangelical text, uh, they were a pair of brats. Uh, They had misused and abused the worshippers for so long that there is a scripture in early Samuel that says they had caused contempt to fill their hearts when it came to worship. And people were like, you know what, I'll paraphrase for you. Israel were like, if that's worship, if that's church, I ain't going. They were beating people up at the door. They were robbing them and extorting them. And if that wasn't bad enough, Eli says, I'm going to turn a blind eye. And then Samuel, a young lad at the time, begins to hear the voice of God. Interesting part of that is you have, you have the old priest who's not hearing the voice of God. And you have a young prophet who's learning to discern the voice of God. And uh, Eli uh, helps him to discern the voice of God. Maybe he regretted it because... He asks Samuel, what does the Lord say? Samuel says to him, there is a day coming when the ears will itch to hear of what will happen. And let me tell you what happens on that day. In one day, the Philistines overrun Israel. They capture the ark. They kill Eli's two sons in battle. The old man falls backward on his chair and breaks his neck if there was a day. Uh, anybody who's in leadership in God's house, you need to read those three chapters, and then read the fourth one, because there's, we, we need to come humbly before the throne of grace. So we find this now, after all those things have happened, and one of the son's wives, starting in verse 19, now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the the women attending her said to her, do not be afraid for you have borne a son. And she did not answer or pay attention and she named the child Ichabod. Interesting what that name means. Saying the glory has departed from Israel. Not because of Eli, not because of his two sons, because the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. The glory has departed. That sentence there is telling us what? We are nothing without the presence of God. The word glory in the Old Testament speaks about a weight and a burden, it's... it's, it's, it's feeling, it's physically sensing and knowing a weight of God's glorious presence. It's you, you can't mistake it. That's what they. And so when you read about Solomon dedicating the temple and the presence of God and the glory of God comes out, it's like a it's like a weight that comes on. She says the glory of God has departed. Hang on to that verse. Ponder that verse for a moment. the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And I bet you the Philistines regretted it. Because the Philistines took the ark and they said, you know what? We'll shove it in the temple of our God, Dagon. And there's a lesson for all of us because what happens is they get up the next morning and the statue of Dagon is laying face down. So they go, no, that's all right, we'll put him back up, put him back in his place, and they go about their business the next morning and they come in. Not only has he fallen down, but his head's rolled off but they still continue to hold on to the ark until they're growing boils and tumours everywhere and they say, we've got to get this out of here. What's the message to us today? The gods of this world will fall before the presence of God. It won't fall before our programs or our flashy buildings or whatever else we may want to institute. It is the presence and it is the glory of God that the world's gods will fall before. And of course, we read about when it returns to Jerusalem, but there's a lesson that is on journey Back to Jerusalem, Uh, the oxen stumble and you can see the four poles there. Nobody was allowed to actually touch the box. A bit like my fishing gear boys. (laughs) Uh, Nobody was allowed to touch the box so they had to carry it by the poles And, and Uzzah, who was one of the priests holding it, the oxen stumbled and he put his hand out and grabbed hold of the box and he died instantly so rattled David that he said, this can't come back to Jerusalem. David, who who can house the presence of God, says David, so they put it in the house of a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. This guy's house is so blessed. (laughs) What's the message, friends? The presence of God, huh? So blessed, David eventually goes and gets the ark and brings it to Jerusalem. But what do we learn from Uzzah? God's presence is not to be trifled with. We all want to see more of God's presence. We want to enter into God's presence. There is a heart attitude that accompanies that, friends. It's a heart attitude where we move God from the place of the common to the very special. Uzzah made the mistake... Nadab and Abihu made the mistake. Nadab and Abihu are the sons of Aaron and they're in the presence of the Lord, ministering before the Lord. God has just told them, this is the pattern for worship. When you worship, we've just spent nine chapters of Leviticus. This is what worship and the ceremonies look like. And then they decide, you know what? We're going to do worship our way. Didn't end so well. They were consumed, God says, for those that will be near me. Wow. The Ark of the Covenant for Israel was significant. It defined who they were, it upheld them and strengthened them in battle, and it centred all of their worship. Everything they did was centred and focused around the presence. Every sacrifice in the tabernacle, every sacrifice in the temple, every ceremony, even down to what the priests were wearing, was all because of a burning flame of presence that was behind the curtain. but David's got a point, right? When we begin to understand God's holy, righteous standard, how can we come into your presence? (laughs) Man, have I got some good news for everybody today. Uh, I love how the Bible just does its own preaching. I've got the easiest job in the world. Don't tell the board, but I I really do have the easiest job in the world because the word of God just does its own word. Let's, Let's make our way down to verse 17. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat. Now, that's actually a translation of a Hebrew word which speaks about a curtain or a cover. Uh, I'll jump forward and we'll come back to this in a moment. But that word mercy seat in the New Testament means propitiation. And uh, Paul, when he's writing to the Romans in chapter three, will actually make mention of the fact that Jesus is our mercy seat. Jesus is our propitiation more about that in a moment but what even is the mercy seat the mercy seat is the lid that goes on top of it's it's the curtain and the cover that goes over the ark and it is it sits between god's holy righteous standard and all of us and the mercy seat the picture of it is a cover and a curtain that overlays, uh, but the significance is far deeper. Uh, the, the most holy place, which we'll talk about in a moment, inside the tabernacle, there will be the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's where the presence of God is. That's where the mercy seat is. And then there's this huge curtain, which, by the way, was about 30 feet high and roughly about 13, 14 inches thick. So uh, Days for Girls, if you can sew one of those. Uh, But separating everybody from the presence of God and we all know that only one man went in to the presence of God only one man went in to the most holy place that was the high priest once a year on the day of atonement but wait for it we're going to get to the bronze altar later but the bronze altar is a beautiful picture of the cross of Christ and here's what the high priest would do we have a new high priest we're getting there we're getting there the high priest would take the blood from the bronze altar and he would make his way through the holy place, cleansing everything on the way, then he would take that blood into the most holy place and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And the moment that blood touches the mercy seat, it says that a death has occurred, judgment has occurred, and God's holy, righteous standard against sin has been expiated. And this is what that means. Now mercy can flow freely. Hallelujah. That's what it meant for Israel. And that's just the blood of bulls and goats. And now God's mercy could freely flow to Israel. It actually says for the unintentional sins. I pondered that for a moment, which is scary because I started to realise, you know, by lunchtime every day, I wonder how many unintentional sins I've committed I wonder how many times I've forgotten. How many times... I don't want to think about it. How many times I've patted the cat or... You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. And the significance for Israel was huge, but the significance for us this morning is immense. This morning, as we bring this to a close... uh, I want to read some verses from Hebrews chapter 9. I wasn't going to read these verses, but what is in Hebrews chapter 9 is profound for what we're speaking about. Just listen to some of these words. Hebrews chapter 9 speaks about the two sections, which is the holy place which is where all the priests went to do their sacrifices. Not anybody could go to the holy place, but the the priests could go in, they could do their sacrifices and their ceremonies, and then the high priest into the most holy place. But what Hebrews 9 teaches us is that in Christ, there's no longer two sections. There's only one. Because the temple curtain veil... You see, the veil wasn't torn to let us in was to let him out it was to give God access listen to this now even the first covenant had regulations for worship, regulations for worship If the first covenant did, I reckon the second one does as well. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent, the tabernacle was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, more about those next week, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. That's where the presence of God is. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark, Of the covenant, the golden altar of incense. More about that, but it speaks about our prayers. And having the golden altar of incense, the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded. And the tablets of the covenant above it were the cherubim glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Verse eight. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. So we're talking about the tabernacle. We're talking about the presence of God. We're talking about there is a curtain that separates the holy place. There is another curtain that separates the most holy place. And the Holy Spirit is teaching us what? That this is not yet opened. Not yet. No, that's what they're teaching us. But in Christ, the way has been opened. And so as we come to a conclusion this morning, we must ask ourselves the question, well, okay, that's all nice and wonderful. Great little lesson this morning on the tabernacle. But how on earth does that apply to us today, Pastor? Well, let's go right back to the start. God still desires to dwell richly inside of each one of us. Every one of us is as close to God as we want to be. Worship before God still has patterns and regulations and it still has regularity. We understand that God is a God of order and that there's, ways to worship him. We learn all of those things, but but for a moment can can we search in our own hearts and know that worship has always been about the heart. Because what God says to Moses, if you keep reading on, he says that I will meet you there. That's what God is saying to every one of us this morning, I'll meet you there. He says to Moses, I'll meet you at the Ark of the Covenant. I'll meet you in the presence and I will speak to you there. God is saying the same to us today. I'll meet you there. Friends, everything we do here, every life group meeting, every prayer meeting, every Sunday meeting, it doesn't matter what we do, we must be centred and orientated around the pursuit of God's presence. It is God's presence that defines us. Without God's presence, we are another football club or another community centre. Can I tell you this morning that God's presence is in the building? Yes, but God dwells inside of our hearts. God's desire is to dwell inside of our hearts and none of us can stand in the presence of God. None of us have the ability inside of ourselves to stand in the presence of God against his holy righteous standard. But today, if you are in Christ... I I have good news for you today that if you are in Christ, that the mercy seat, the propitiation, here's what that word means in the New Testament. It not only means to appease my wrath, it means I have put forth the object to cast all of my wrath on to satisfy my wrath. That's what God did in Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus. The tabernacle is all about Jesus. remember somebody asking once, where on earth is the gospel in Exodus? (laughs) Where on earth is it not? (laughs) Friends, today, I pray that there is not a day like 1 Samuel chapter 4, but if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, if we get wrapped up in programs and business ventures and running organisations, and the relentless pursuit of more. If we lose the presence, the glory has certainly departed. Can we humbly search our own hearts, because friends, there will be a day when we will stand before him. As we... Draw to a close this morning. I wonder whether we can sit quietly just for a couple of moments. And allow the Holy Spirit... My prayer is the Holy Spirit would confirm and assure inside of our hearts that there is a place... There is a place called home and it's not here. There's a place called home and it's defined by a presence. And God is saying to everybody in this room, if you will pay the price, I will meet you there. Father this morning, as we as we sit before you just in the Ark of the Covenant, we see how thankful we are for Jesus, Lord, that you you willingly walk the hill of Calvary for every one of us so that we could come home so that we could know the presence so that we could come to the meeting place (laughs) Jesus I thank you that you did not leave us as orphans but that you've sent us the counsellor the wonderful Holy Spirit, that perfect gentleman. And you said, Jesus, that we will come and make our home with you. I pray that you would make your home in our hearts, Holy Spirit. That you would empty the house of our hearts of anything and everything that gets in the way of your presence. May we all hunger for you. Oh Lord, forgive us, Father. We we hunger and thirst for so many things. Rid our hearts, I pray of every hunger that is outside of you. Thank you for the privilege of salvation. Your grace is enough. Father, as we go our ways this morning, I do pray for your blessing and your favour to rest on each one of us. Keep each one of us, I pray. I pray that each heart would hear you calling. I'll meet you there, urging us ever deeper and closer into your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available,